Hello and welcome to the Saturday Night Sound Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor Gura. Marler, I have some news. Some wedding news. Not me. Not related to me. Don't worry. Well, in a way, um, I'm coming off of my... I did three weddings in 16 days. So, peak mid-season wedding form for me. Um, But I noticed something. And I... I'm wondering if you're if you're noticing this as well, and I think SEC fans are going to. That's my the divorce rate weird way of saying, no, not that. No, divorce rate is still pretty bad, um, but it's something that SEC fans will appreciate, and I think that it'll make them feel more optimistic about the upcoming season, or maybe even 2020, probably at this point. But all three weddings that I went to, none of them were on Saturday. Ooh, I've got well, the last four weddings, I think have been on either Friday or Sunday. Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. As I've yeah, said on this podcast before, I got married Sunday of Labor Day weekend, so it was technically opening weekend of college football, but oh. my wedding was not on a Saturday. So we, we made up for, for it. We all watched college football at the bar, and it was all good. Yeah. But what do you have to do I think this Whatever is a good thing. I, I think this is a good thing for, for SEC fans. I'm saying this is this is good news because this is the trend. This is the direction that these things are heading. If we're getting away from Saturday weddings, whether we are consciously doing it or not, and it's more often than not just because, let's be honest, it's much cheaper to have much a Friday cheaper. or a Sunday wedding than it is to have a Saturday wedding. But we can all benefit from this. Yeah. I mean, I, if we're getting married on a Friday. Friday or Sunday, I'll, th- I'll throw you one out here just show you what kind of level – of Southern, and, and I don't want to say trash that I am, but I actually attended my former stepmom's new wedding and new marriage on a Wednesday night. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. Wednesday? The whole thing cost like 30 bucks. It was awesome. I don't, I'm kidding. Oh it, was, it was beautiful. But um, yeah, it's the Saturday weddings, I love that. And now if we could all just, you know, collectively make an effort to shift away from anything after September 1st, it's fine. That'd be good. Yeah, I've got, I've got four from May, like in May and June, which is perfect. And then my one that I have during the fall is just like last year, Cupcake Week. So yeah, shout out to everybody for being on my schedule. Thank you for doing good that. Stuff. We've got a lot to get to today. We have an interview that we just recorded with Jason Swain, who hosts the Swain Event. Tennessee fans know this man, and he's going to provide some very good insight on the Vols and talk a little bit, uh, some Butch Please yeah, stuff. Yes, good. I said that right. Um, we're going to get to uh, an interesting little premise that I think we've talked about before, but we've never actually like kind of like fleshed out on the podcast involving when the best time to be an SEC student in the 21st century would be strictly based on sports. A little bit of Uncle Chris Heisman talk, although it's, it's Uncle Connor, yeah, it's actually. Not Uncle Chris at all. It's, your, it's your entire but article. It's, it's Uncle Chris based on you know the fact that we're talking gambling. Before we get to all that stuff, though, we're going to fix the transfer portal. I believe in us. It's a very tough thing to do, but it's a very popular topic of conversation right now at the SEC meetings in Destin, which for whatever reason, I'm just not at. And I always wonder, that always comes around on the schedule. I'm like, I should be in Destin right now. That'd be awesome. Um, But instead, I'm still here in Orlando. So we're going to fix the transfer portal because everybody seems to be having a problem with it and sharing their frustrations with it. And I get it. Coaches like Will Muschamp, Dabo Sweeney, they come out and they're like, hey, you know, this is this is getting ridiculous. Uh, we, we're all for player rights, but like this is getting to the point where, you know, we're going to have free agency and all that. And, you know, not not that's not a direct quote necessarily, but, you know, Greg Sankey pointed out that there are more people in the transfer portal than there are available FBS scholarships right now. So um, 
I think that there are ways to potentially fix it, but there have been a lot of things in the last week or so that have kind of just been like, oh gosh, what a what a bad product of of the transfer portal. Kelvin Joseph, the LSU defensive back, um, enters the transfer portal. His dad said that he's not going anywhere, and then he's like, no, I am, I am leaving. So, and this is all while Coach O was on vacation. And you know, one of the benefits of the transfer portal was supposed to be, oh, you know, we don't have to get permission from coaches. We don't have to go through this 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 checklist to be able to just leave and get permission to, to look elsewhere. Brew McCoy, go. Okay, so here's the thing. I, when you when you say that, like, the transfer portal has become an almost cliche off-season content, you know, just honestly luxury for us in, like, media to talk about because it's an ongoing thing. People are constantly transferring, and it's it's an easily debatable topic. What's What people are kind of fed up with now is the Brew McCoy situation, which is, if you guys don't know, Brew McCoy was a top 10 recruit. He committed to USC. And then did he enroll? In the 2019 class, was already enrolled. I think he'd be enrolled for like three months or three no, no, weeks. Yeah, Not. it was like it's still the first early weeks of January. Then announced yeah. he was leaving to go to Texas. So he leaves and goes to Texas. And then this, this I, I believe, started yesterday because I saw it on Twitter and I was like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way this is real. And it was like rumors are surfacing that Brew McCoy is considering leaving uh, Texas to go back to USC, and then I think that is confirmed that happened today. Correct? That he is going I'm, back. I, I think we're still waiting okay. to hear if he's officially answered the portal. But the fact that the rumor was even floated out there right. tells you, all right, there's there's something to this, right? And so it it's just it's getting to a point where the reason why it's so frustrating because there's going to be coaches are going to have their stance on and opinions on everything, and I don't always necessarily think that it's in benefit for the student athlete as they say it is. But, you know, usually it's, like, in favor of something that happened, like, specifically to them or their team. The Brew McCoy situation just shows, like, and what's been happening with the, the transfer portal is that it keeps setting the bar higher and higher in terms of absurdity. Like, it just keeps outdoing itself. And this situation where you have a kid that transfers as he, after he's already enrolled in his first semester of college and then leaves to go to a, a, a totally different school, like, in very far away in a different conference, all that, thing, all that kind of stuff – and now wants to go back to the school he left? Like, first off, as a team, how do you take him back? That's a very awkward transition. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, the whole thing is, is mind-blowing. That It's like the NCAA has allowed this to, to get this far. You had a great tweet, too, that Drew <laughs> McCoy was essentially the Michael Scott snip, snap, snip, yeah. snap. You have no idea the physical toll that these sectomies have on a person. Exactly. Shout out to, uh, I forgot the... the the Instagram account that said we stole that from too. That was really nice. That was fun. Yeah, that was that was Chris Marler original, wasn't it? It was, yes. Yeah, of course it was. All right, just making sure. So I think that people are looking at this now. Fans are getting a little bit more frustrated, maybe realizing like, okay, this is this is getting to the point where we're gonna have some serious depth issues yeah. and you know, you kinda question what exactly the, the, the main point and the, and the end result of this is going to be? Is it going to get worse? Are, guys gonna get, are there going to be even more players that go into the portal? I have a couple of suggestions for this to tweak it because I agree that players should be allowed to have more rights. The, fa- the way that we were doing it before in the previous year didn't make a whole lot of sense with coaches having all this power right. to be able to veto certain destinations and all that. So like, I'm glad that we have moved past that Stone Age era of college football. But at the same time, like, there could be rules and regulations to this, and I think yeah. the NCAA is going to adopt some more because they're going to get so much blowback from coaches. So what if we set a specific time frame? Crazy concept here. What if we just say, you know what, January 1st to May 1st. Like they do with recruiting? That takes, 
that takes you through the draft that says, okay, we're going to... We, we're, we're able to, you know, teams are able to look at what they did in the early signing period. They still have the option with the, as long as the February signing period is still there, you can still decide during that. Okay, if if we have this guy leave in the beginning of January, then we can go out and we can we can recruit, you know, another inside linebacker or whatever it is, and it won't mess with your scholarships as much. And you could have players be allowed to go through because by May first, you know, spring ball is going to be over yeah. by that point. And a lot of what what guys transferring the transfer or guys entering the transfer portal now stems from is looking on that spring depth chart and being like man i'm still not on the too deep i still have a long way to go to play right why don't i see what other options are out there as opposed to going through an entire offseason entire year and seeing kind of where i'm at at this time next year there's another solution and this one there there's some risks to it obviously right. but it, it it's interesting at least from our perspective it's a lot more interesting what about a coach making an example of a big time transfer just don't honor the kid's scholarship once he enters the transfer portal and say, you know what? If you want to leave, all right, you're not getting your scholarship renewed here if you come back. Because that is one of the things here that they open this up for interpretation to say a player can enter the transfer portal and then he can come back to the original school. Right. But it's up to the coach to say, yes, you still have a scholarship. Now, I... I, I obviously I'm not I'm not necessarily saying like there are a lot of situations in which a situation like that would would backfire and it would be harmful to the player yeah. obviously, <laughs> so I, I understand it from that standpoint. And a fan but base. If it, it, and a fan base, but the message potentially of what this could of what that could send throughout your program if you're somebody let's just say let's just say Will Muschamp just because he was talking about the portal and let's say he had somebody who was you know this former four star kid and he's. And this kid enters the transfer portal, and Muschamp maybe he hasn't liked his attitude since since he's been on campus or whatever. And this kid enters the portal more, and Muschamp is like, you know what? You don't have a scholarship if you come back. You don't, and and that, and then you leak that story, you get it out there yeah. to the masses, so that people in your program know, hey, if we enter the transfer portal, like there's a good chance that we could just be out of a scholarship, and we can't just dip our toe in the water to see what's out there. I'm saying if coaches are looking for a solution within the current parameters of the rules. That would be a way to do it. I understand it's risky. I mean, and, and the thing is, I don't know if that necessarily sends the right message of what they're trying to accomplish anyway. I think it would accomplish some things. What would, I think, potentially be a backlash of this is you have a kid like the, you know, Joseph at LSU who's a former five-star defensive back, and he wants to come back to your school. Or like the five-star uh, from BAM, I can't pronounce his name, I'll be honest, um, from earlier this year who decided to come back as well. If you are taking a stand because a lot of people they get so up in arms with this it's like these millennials want everything handed to them and blah 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 and this old school mindset there's no way they wouldn't want a five star to come back to their school and keep them on that depth chart so i don't know if that really solves it i think the problem here is like this is people don't feel bad for coaches because of the salaries they make and how fortunate they are for those situations of course but this is really making their job so much more difficult in terms of you already asked them to do so much prepping for games planning for games practice developing players recruiting players and it never stops and now you're asking to like almost start a whole new cycle of recruiting and preventing people from leaving your school and the bottom line is this like i've said this before i quit i quit my college baseball team because i was 21 years old i was like an emotional kid that you know had an impulse reaction and i got my feelings hurt about something and i quit and to this day i regret it but when you're an 18 to 22 year old kid you're you're not fully developed in how to handle emotions and how to handle you know like pushback or or conflict or you know on, like failure to be honest and I think it's easy for a lot of people to quit. It's it's they've kind of given this 
power to players. And the reason why I think they did it and the NCAA has gotten themselves in a lot of trouble with this is because when you brought up, like, I think they're going to have to set some regulations. Yeah, like, no blank. <laughs> they should have already done that. And, and I think what it kind of proves, at least to me, is the fact that what I think they were trying to do here is they are they already are under fire and under scrutiny for the fact that they don't pay players. And it's obviously been said over and over and over again how unfair and the discrepancy, you know, like how much money they make is. But I feel like they did this as like a concession to be like, hey, you know what? We're yep, going to allow this, though. You're welcome. Look, we're looking out for you guys. And the bottom line that I've seen from all of this, because you're right, they, they did this as like, they were doing some kind of favor to these kids to help them out and make, you know, give them more power and control on their college career. But what it really was was just kind of like a dismissal of like, you know what? We can we can avoid the conversation about having to pay them because we're giving them something here. And what they what to, what I think they've proved is the NCAA does not care about providing a valuable future and four-year college career for student athletes. They what they really think is you guys are fortunate to be in this situation, the situation you're in. We are still the governing body, and we're in control of all of this. And if they really did care about like the student-athletes, it's not just paying them. I think it's stuff like this. Like You should be able to set rules and regulations to help and influence their future. They don't do that. I think, I think that the NCAA, too, was naive in a certain aspect of this in that I don't think they thought that a lot of these transfer portal stories would break in the way that they are, and I don't think they'd be considered such public information. Now, obviously, you or I cannot just go log into the transfer portal and see all oh, of these guys. I got a guy. <laughs> oh, you got no, a guy. Okay. So, okay, so I but but that's like that's the funny thing is you'll see somebody like like Cole Kubelik break a story about the transfer portal. It's like how does, how does Cole yeah. have access to the transfer portal? We need to have him on and ask him about that. Um, but they, I think they thought this thing was going to be like really private and it was going to be this database for coaches to look at. And all of these things get out. And whenever you hear, oh, this person is even thinking about enter, entering the transfer portal, we hear about it. And fans hear about it too. And so that that part of it is kind of the, the thing that, that has backfired on the NCAA and why coaches are frustrated too because it – it obviously doesn't make a coach look good. No. And, you know, it hurts their rep when it's like, oh, man, we had this player enter the transfer portal, this player enter the transfer portal. Oh, since the start of fall, since the start of spring camp, we've had eight guys enter the transfer portal. And you get asked about yeah. that. It's another topic of conversation. I did not think that they foresaw the public impact and reaction that this thing was going to have. And I think that they were just looking exactly like what you said. It was a concession. Yeah. It was a way to say, we're going to allow players to have more rights. We're going to give student-athletes these opportunities to explore their options in a way that's not going to necessarily totally undermine them right. and make this total free agency. But I think that there are certain elements that we're still working through, and this is very much a trial-and-error process, and we're starting to see some of the errors play out. And Yeah, I completely agree with that. And the stuff we draw for the coaches, like it does look bad. And I will say part of that is the coach's fault, who have been openly using this as like a negative recruiting tactic. I'm not going to mention any coaches' names, but like that—that's one. Mention names, that's, but that's, names. that's one reason why. Like I brought it up last week. I did the whole uh, transfer portal chain on on Instagram, and I made like a fake little lightning circle. Florida fans did not think it was funny. Um, I think a few <laughs> of them actually thought it was real. But like the, no, but that, but then you put it on Muschamp, so it was all yeah, good. Yeah, so then well, it was not all good, but yeah. But I mean, like the whole thing, you know, like I, we bring up the Florida thing because of what happened with Chris Steele, and then you know you have USC that's lost nine players in the transfer portal, and. You know, like that's the argument there is that they're recruiting better players, so other players don't really fit in the, the, the roster as much. That's all fine, but like you're right. It is, it does make coaches look worse. It is hurting, I think, the, especially it's hurting recruiting because, I, and I, again, like I quit, I quit my college team, but there was a time back in my day when if you were upset about something, you went home, 
you called somebody and complained about it, listened to some dashboard confessional, you didn't get on some damn transfer website and enter your name because you were sad. We've, I, I don't think it's because of the freedoms we've given them. It's, it's the, the player's fault. But again, if you're 18 to 22 years old, you're going to have not the most logical and, and rational reactions to things. And it, giving them this, this amount of freedom from the NCAA it's, it might, might have been a mistake. I went to the NCAA website and I looked at the the section about the transfer portal yeah. and it, they have like a they have like a thirty page pamphlet under construction. It's like a brochure, yeah. <laughs> under construction website coming in two thousand five. Thunder Mifflin. Um, yeah. And, and so it's it's basically like they have this this pamphlet and you're like it, it they phrase it so you're thinking about transferring and it's it's so like funny and like kind of corny the way that it's that it's drawn up and. I guarantee you that nobody actually like looks at something no. like that. There's like okay, click the I'm button. Gonna, you know, there are 720 yeah. players in the transfer portal as of May 15th, and 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 yeah, I, I counted earlier on 24/7. You know, I can't count that high. <laughs> but there were 720. There are 94 quarterbacks that have been in the 2019 transfer portal, dating back from last season to this season. And I mean, 94 quarterbacks. Think about that. That is an out. Like there are 130 teams in college football in Division One college football. 94 quarterbacks were in the transfer portal. And, and the, the, you know, again, that's a problem. But my issue is not with the kids at all. It is 100% with the fact that when you said it, like you said it like it was like out of the out of question, like, you know, maybe we need some rules and regulations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you regulate every other part of their lives, but you didn't regulate this. Crazy. So I, I expect changes to be coming. Maybe changes are going to be coming as we're – you know, or at least they're going to be seriously discussed as we're as we're talking about this right now with the SEC meetings yeah. in Destin. Two guys that aren't going to be entering the transfer portal: oh. a couple of quarterbacks, uh, a guy named Tua Tagovailoa, Trevor Lawrence. They are preseason Heisman favorites, as we know. We have talked about some of those Heisman odds. As of I think Friday was the last time I checked it. They were at plus two fifty. That is Tua and Trevor Lawrence, and I think Justin Fields is third, third. at like eleven to one or ten to one, something like that. Um, but I wrote this thing, and I was I, I was very interested in this subject, and something that I've been meaning to do for a little while is preseason Heisman favorites and the likelihood of them winning. And it was worse than I ever imagined. So I went back and I found the top two, or just preseason, or I, I looked back at the the Heisman winner and then what their preseason odds were. So in the last ten years, dating back to Mark Ingram, two thousand nine, winning the Heisman. The Heisman Trophy winner has been a preseason top two on Heisman odds. Guess how many times? You can see the document, so you already know. <laughs> I read the article. There you yeah. go. <laughs> One time, Marcus Mariota, 2014. He was second. He wasn't. Even and Amari Cooper should have won it that year. There you go. So four times, four of those ten times, the Heisman winner, the person who won the Heisman, did not have preseason Heisman odds. Amazingly enough. That's... Kyler Murray actually had Heisman odds last year. He was 20 to 1, and somehow he was seventh in the, the preseason Heisman odds. But it's amazing that we. So that's my way of saying don't bet on, on Trevor Lawrence yeah. or Tua right now to get two and a half on your money. Even if you, with a bullet to your head, would say, yes, I think they would win the Heisman, that's a different conversation because we're not factoring odds into that. We're just saying we think those will be the best players. But they're a bad bet right now. And yeah. if you want to bet on the Heisman, Bet, bet on somebody outside that top four, top five, because we have only seen in the last decade two that started that were preseason top five Heisman candidates eventually win the award. The other one besides Mariota was Baker Mayfield in 2017, and Baker Mayfield, as accomplished as he was, he was still only eight to one in the preseason. He was third to win the Heisman. So like, 
You know, so don't bet on the favorites. I, I just, don't bet on the favorites right now. It's different when games start. It's totally different when games start. But in the preseason, you're just the odds are horrible. Yeah, I mean, like if you're if you're betting on stuff, I don't bet futures anyway because I don't have that kind of discipline gambling. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, we've talked about this before. Like Uncle Chris needs needs an instant gratification when it comes to gambling. That's why I've got Millennial. 17 different first inning bets out on baseball games today. Not really, but no. The, this this kind of stuff. Like when you talk about value bets in the future, it, it makes no sense to if you're placing a bet on this. You're right. That is stupid because <laughs> it's it makes it's throwing your money away. I mean, like if, if you bet a thousand dollars, like I, I have a friend, I have a friend who bet a hundred dollars on Auburn to win the, the national title preseason odds in 2010. Okay, so the year Cam was there, twenty to one, right? So they won two thousand dollars. They were like, you know, we were, we were still pretty young then, so they were like, well, we're going skiing. Like that's a pretty good value bet. A hundred dollars, great value. Yeah, bet. but when you have stuff like when it's two two fifty to one. That makes and, and the season hasn't <laughs> the season, fall camp hasn't started, man. You know what I mean? It it makes no sense. You're right in the fact that like yeah, we're not. He's not saying Connor's not saying that neither one of these players is going to win the Heisman. It's the fact that like there's makes this makes no sense why you would ever place money on it. But apparently enough people are that their odds would be this low. That's that's the amazing thing is that they are so low and there's such a separation and that's why I thought it was interesting with the top two compared to the separation that the, the gap between two and three is so significant right. and it's like man if these guys are this overwhelming and what we often do with preseason Heisman favorites this is and, the best point you know you know we we pick them apart yeah. they have such a high bar to live up to and this has become such a we've talked about this before this has become such a narrative driven award yes. and we have loved our heisman even last year with kyler murray we love our heismans to follow this arc this arc throughout their season where it's like all right they start off and maybe they're in the hunt but they're not the overwhelming favorite they don't have they're that gritty underdog where, Gritty underdog. Even Baker, it was a little bit of a gritty underdog in 2017 because he had, you know, the offseason arrest and all that <laughs> stuff. And then, you know, he goes into Ohio State favorite. and wins there, plants the flag. So, like, we love our Heismans to follow this this narrative. And that is so hard to predict in the preseason. It's really, really difficult. If you want to put a bet on, like, a Shea Patterson or That's something like that. That's a good bet. Your boy Justin Airbear or something yeah. like that. Something where you're getting like at least ten to one on your money, it just makes way, way more sense when you look at these odds and the way even Justin Air Bear, as you like to say, it probably isn't even a good preseason Heisman candidate because he's being talked about as a potential top five draft pick next year. Yeah. So maybe he's got a little too much preseason buzz, but like we we tend to, in college football because we have so much time in the offseason, right? right? And we have so much time in between we in between games care. to dissect their apartments. Yeah. And people do care. And I think that it just kind of it hurts guys like Tua and Trevor Lawrence, where even if they have a great year, it's so tough to get there. Like you look at Lamar Jackson, 2017, where he won the Heisman in 2016, and it took so long for him to even get into the Heisman Dude. conversation because because of the preseason narrative, because he had like one bad game early. In he the had year. a better statistical season the following year, as a, as a defense. And people and forget see, and that. This is, this is I brought this up last year, and I got roasted by people about being a homer for for Bama on the Tua thing. And the whole point I was trying to make was, if you guys remember this, before the, like the Heisman ceremony was, we spent the entire year, we spent the entire year talking about how great Tua was. Okay, like he had this just incredible run, and you know, like, and we all knew the teams he was playing. We all knew that he wasn't playing very good teams until November, and then we knew that he got hurt like late. And, and what we did is what we always do. You're 100 percent right. This is honestly, we don't agree a lot. This is I've never agreed with you more on any topic ever, Whoa. ever. E- even the Holy office cow. is this this moment or this thing about the Heisman is, is the fact that like we do pick them apart. I've said this before. We're a, we're a society and a nation of haters. We 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 just love to tear things down and we love to dissect stuff. 
for whatever reason and say like why that's not as good as we as as everyone else says it is. And so we did it with Saquon, 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 Hair Bear. Like that was the Joe Moorhead five pronunciations. There of you Saquon. go. Yeah. But I mean, like we, yeah. he he was the September Heisman the year before, and people get so up in arms about the fact that like you know we shouldn't have AP, we shouldn't have any polls until October. There's nothing that I think should be abolished more in the, in college football than preseason and in season Heisman rankings until you get to roughly mid October November because it's stupid and it does influence the way voters think. You look at the number of voters. I, f- I forgot what it is at the top of my head, but it was like 20% of voters, I believe, or maybe it's like 15% that submitted their ballots before championship weekend. Right. And it's, it's just crazy to me. It's like, one, you're not taking that vote seriously, which is stupid. But we do. It's like the, we do follow along this this weird arc going into the season. We did it with Fournette in 2015. He's dominated the entire year, and then you're waiting for them to fail. And and there, if you say it's not a narrative-driven uh, award, 15 of the past 18 uh, Heisman winners have been quarterbacks, for one, on, on contending teams for the most part, besides Griffin and Lamar Jackson. But there's no better there's no better defense of, of your argument than the Lamar Jackson thing. When he literally goes out the next year, puts up better numbers than yep. before, and he's completely forgotten about because it immediately turns into it it like he didn't play any defenses or they only went eight and four. He didn't lead him to a national championship. And what it really is, is everyone else in that's a college football fan saying like, hey, like make me laugh. I just do do, exactly. do something yeah. for me. Do something I haven't. I seen I haven't before. seen this before. I've never seen a, a white guy yep. grab his junk on the sideline against Kansas and then throw six touchdowns against him. That's I mean that's what happens. Kyler Murray, I've never seen a guy who's five foot eight. <laughs> shout out all the five foot eight guys. Uh, you know, be this good yeah. in the quarterback position, like throwing the ball too. We tend to like these things that that either break the internet, like Derrick Henry being this physical freak. Yeah. And this guy that we can't even understand, he looks like he's built out of a machine. And, and like we we love these guys that, we, that are doing something different that we just, we're seeing them and we're watching them blossom and form into stars during their Heisman seasons. That's why Heisman winners are younger and younger. Baker bucked the trend by being a senior to win the award, but like you, you look up and down and it, it that is what it has become. And it, it has been such a, a what what is the national story? What what are people talking about with this person? Instead of probably like it, to a certain extent, it should be numbers based. But at the same time, like there's subjectivity to it, and there's competition, and it's like a there are a lot of things to it's evaluate. It's become a clickbait award in terms of like what have I not seen? What is going to surprise me? I did. What is going to surprise me the most? And this is this is something that has piqued my interest. I've seen I've seen Tua throw for four or five touchdowns a game all season long. I've not seen this this kid throw for or have like 600 yards of total offense against, I don't know, what, Texas Tech? Regardless, over it. Regardless. He's 5'8". So we, we have some peak off-season content um, that we, we saw, and then peak, season con- peak off-season content of our own. I think, you're really, I think people are really going to enjoy our, our peak off-season content. But the first one that we saw out in, in the world, and this has become, I don't want to say a, an annual topic of conversation because there are certain years where – I feel like it hasn't been, but it probably, in recent memory, it feels like it's it's an annual topic of conversation this time of year. And Kirby Smart was asked about moving the cocktail party out of Jacksonville with the the scheduling changes with Georgia kind of loading up on all of these home and home games and you know breaking down kind of how many home games you want in a certain year, all that stuff. So Kirby said it's always up for discussion. Nothing is off the table. Nothing has been decided. The last home and home. For you know the this this great rivalry was ninety four ninety five of course <laughs> Jacksonville the stadium was under construction that's the the Spurrier half a hundred between the hedges comment ninety five all to that. be fair in ninety five so, Heinz Ward had to play quarterback for that Georgia team so just just I mean, throwing that out there he could do it. yeah 
he could do it. Um, but so the, this this topic is is being discussed now, and a lot of people are are kind of you know as if Florida and Georgia fans didn't have enough to kind of go back Jeez. and forth about. But this this rivalry and the idea of moving it out of Jacksonville. And I, I could see both sides of this. I see the Georgia side where it's like it's a Florida home game and it sucks that we got to travel this far every single year. And at the same time, as like, and I think you could relate to this too, as sort of a college football purist who wants to see these special rivalries. And like part of what makes it cool and makes it different is that they do play this game in Jacksonville. Yeah. And it isn't just, you know, kind of another home, home division game on the schedule or something like that. We love the home and homes non conference play, but a neutral site game, you know. It just there's something about it that just kind of changes the the atmosphere and the rivalry of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely more so than most is probably like an SC. I wouldn't say college football purist as much as SEC purist. Like, I, I, there yeah, it is. I mean, either yeah. way, but like, I I I don't disagree with with moving it. Like, I, I would never want to see this game be a home and home every year, just like a normal SEC rivalry. Because I, I think it is one of those things that makes this rivalry unique to any other any other rivalry of the SEC or the country even. I've never been a big fan of, you know, the stadium in Jacksonville doesn't really do anything for me. Um, you know, I I love this game. It's not like the Bam or the Georgia Auburn rivalry for me, but like I think they what they could look at is moving it to having like one home and home. So for two years, have like a home and home every ten years. So do eight in Jacksonville and then do that like once a decade. I think that could be kind of fun because it is two very rabid fan bases. I mean, Jesus, like the entire offseason has felt like I've been driving like to family vacation and Mullen and Kirby are in the back seat. I'm like, just keep your hands to yourself. Not touching you, can't get mad. Not touching you, can't get mad. Like, I, I do think it's something that, uh, you know, I don't want to like have, give like more fuel to the fire for these two fan bases, but I, I would like to see something maybe like that. That could be kind of fun. Because it's, yeah, it is kind of cool to one, do. Yeah, like one, you know, like one, one's played in Athens, one's played in Gainesville, yeah. and then the next is in Jacksonville. Switching, something to kind of switch it up where you're doing every year. I, I don't know what exactly the right formula is, but what we do know is that, so this was, I think this data was like from like, it's like 10 years old, but each school makes $3.4 million every two years from this game, as opposed to just taking in all the home the home right. revenue in which each school gets $2.2 million every two years if this were a home-and-home home series. Right. So from a financial standpoint, it makes more sense to stay in Jacksonville. Having said that, like I kind of I kind of like the idea of, you know, like to a certain extent, like I think more times than not, like the better team should win. I, I feel yeah. like you even the playing field a lot, and and not to say that there's maybe this is good, maybe this is bad. It just depends how you look at it. But it evens the playing field a lot. I think when you're playing at, at a neutral site game, and that's why you know Georgia fans would argue that there were a lot of seasons when you know like Florida would beat Georgia when it wasn't supposed to, and it's like, well, is this is this game supposed to be or vice versa? Yeah. I mean, whatever it is. Like where, you know, it, it just seems random. And it just seemed, for a while, it just seemed like a really tough game to predict and figure out, you know, who exactly is going to come out on top of this. And like, is that part of what makes it good? Or is that part of like what makes it, you know, a little bit frustrating? Because if you're a really good team, you should be able to, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about location or anything like that. I don't I mean, know. There's, I been, see both there's been a couple of things, like like a couple of times like that. Like the 2002 game for Georgia when, was it 2002 or 2003 when uh, Edwards dropped that pass when it was wide open with like less than, from David Green, like under three minutes ago in the game, like that one, 2012 game, uh, which they actually won when Jordan Reed fumbled going or Jordan, uh, what's his name, the tight end who fumbled going out of the uh, going into the end zone because of Jarvis Jones. I mean, there, there's there's different examples like that. I, I think honestly, 
the better team does always win this game. I mean, Florida dominated Georgia for, you know, like 19 to 25 years before, um, you know, this past past couple of seasons, I guess. But I, I don't know. I, I think that the fans, if you ask them, they love to, especially Georgia fans, love to kind of complain and bicker about the fact that, like, that's a road game. It's in Jacksonville, all those kind of things. But, then you know, you talk to, like, the other fans, like, they love, love going down to Jacksonville and look forward to it every year. It's like during fall break. Georgia, Florida – that's an experience, man. Like that, that's a, it's a full week experience going down to St. Simons, all that kind of stuff. I mean, Buck Blue, he said this not too long ago. It's like, he said, what's the first thing you remember about the Georgia Florida rivalry? And he says, you just get off that bus, man. And the first thing you, first thing you take in is all that alcohol. You just smell it. You just smell it everywhere. So it is, it is really cool to have something like that's that big of a party. And it's always for the most part, a pretty, pretty well fought game. Um, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't want to see it be moved consistently i don't think the money's gonna play a big factor into it though we gotta go to jacksonville next year For that's real, what this comes man. down to yeah we need to be getting to jacksonville because you know as you live in georgia i live in florida so it just makes sense yeah. to kind of sort of not really meet in the middle um so our peak offseason content of the week this is uh i did something like this for for sds and this was this originally stemmed from a conversation that I had at the wedding that I was at this past weekend, where it was a wedding of a Florida grad, and I was put uh, at a table with um, a bunch of her her high school classmates who went to Florida with her. And one of the guys, shout out to Rusty, who reads SDS all the time. It was really, really cool. Nice. And he was like citing articles and stuff that we do and all that. So one of the things that he was talking about was like, yeah, like I graduated from Florida in 2012. It was great because you got like the beginning of the Tebow yeah. stuff, but then you also had to be there for the fallout of Urban Meyer being a Will Muschamp, all that. So it kind of got me thinking, if you were going to be an SEC student in the 21st century and you could pick a four-year stretch to be a student, no victory laps, none of that, <sighs> and you're basing this, 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 you're basing your decision entirely on sports, where would you go? And so I came up with a top five list. Four-year stretch. What is college that, in four years, Connor? That's stupid. What's well, got two thumbs and uh, <laughs> went to college in four years? This guy. Um, so that would mean you're starting in fall of a given year, and then so like fall of 2010, and then you'd have to be graduating in spring of 2014. So number one is obvious, and number one is yeah, don't you know, that part of this. Yeah. Oh, okay. We we don't have to start at number one, but it is obvious. Let's start at number five because I think this one. The more you look at it, you're like, okay, this makes sense on this list. South Carolina, fall of 2010, you would enroll and you would graduate in the spring of 2014. So South Carolina under Spurrier wins first SEC East title ever in program history in 2010. And then the first two games that year at home in SEC play, the UGA win. And as you know all too well, the win against Bama. So Steven Garcia, 18 of 20. Shout out Steven Garcia. We love Steven 18 Garcia. of 20. Um, so then after that year, though, you get three top eight seasons where you're at least in the, nas- you're in, you're in the national co- title conversation as a top eight team. And I'm not saying that, you know, you were always there. No, in they it, were. But like, they, it's, it's one of four, four teams, I think, that we've talked about before that had 11 wins or more in a three-year span. Right, but I'm saying, like, if you have, like, two wins early. Because then they have, like, two wins and, or two losses, rather, in, like, the first like maybe the first half of the season, one of those years, and they finished on a winning streak. I mean, either, either way, but, though, that's it. If you talk about the program, like speaking to your point, the program's only had five 10-plus win seasons, that's the best stretch. 
it's it's the best four-year stretch of, of South Carolina football yep. history, like bar none, not even close. You get to watch the rise of Jadavian Clowney, which is fun. And, oh, by the way, you get to beat Clemson four years in a yep. row. And they had Dabo all four of those yep. years, too. And they won by double digits every single year. Um, there's also the baseball thing. You would actually be getting – so in this time frame, you would be getting onto campus just after they won that first College World Series – and then you would be there for the 2011 title when when they repeated, of course. Well, so, they went in 2012 too. I think they were runner up. Were they I could be totally wrong about that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they went for three years in a row. I think they might have been at the College World Series, but not runner up. Um, yeah, you're looking that up as we, as speak. we speak. But anyways, um, so that that would be just an awesome time to be to be at South Carolina. And I've talked to our good friend Brad Crawford about this, and just what a crazy time that was to be. At South Carolina, you don't have to experience the beginning of like the beginning of the end of the Spurrier. Like yeah, they finished second. Last they were up. There. Wow, that's, that's a pretty impressive three-year run. So this list, a reminder, like you take it. We're talking big revenue sports. Like the most likely that a, a student would attend as a fan. So that's that's why I'm, we're keeping this in mind. Like yeah, I know Georgia tennis won national titles back to back year in 07, Don't 08, start. Like, don't start because you don't even know just, my rankings right now, and I don't know how you already right. picked that out. All right, fair enough. Number four, Auburn. You enroll fall of 2010. You graduate spring 2014. Your college career starts with Cam, the Heisman, the national Ugh. title, all that stuff. In your senior year, when you are able to, you know, go to bars and do adult activities, <laughs> uh, kick, make sure you wait until your senior year, though. Yeah, of course. You, you know, you got to wait through your senior year. Um, kick six happens. By the way, just re-listen to the 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 recently late uh, Rod Bramblett's call of, of that kick six. And it's, I know it's very painful memory for you, but it, it's, it's unbelievable. Auburn's no, going to win yeah. the football game. Still gets chills. It's, it's iconic. It's, it gave me chills. Like I remember watching that. It was unbelievable. First thing Claire I said Jordan on Hare. Sunday morning, man, that's what I said. Like we, I watched it cause that's such terrible news. It's just terrible news. Awful and news. I, I rewatched it and like, I was like, God, that really is. And I, I got chills watching it. I think it's probably the only time I've ever gotten chills and then also like it almost teared up and then cussed in the same sentence because I was like, man, what an incredible call. And then I was like, GD it, Adrian Hubbard. Why did you not get to the boundary and make sure he got ah, still blows my mind. I remember, I remember being because um, I, you know, I wasn't in the SEC footprint at that time, and I remember thinking, man, I bet, because when you're watching the game, you're listening to the to the CBS call, obviously oh, on Jesus. TV, and I remember just thinking to myself. The local radio call for that is probably so good. I remember like searching on Twitter to try and find it, and everybody like was instantly tweeting it, and it was unbelievable. Oof. That's one of the iconic moments in the history of college football. Here's here's a question, an interesting question, as we're talking about this four year stretch. If you are an Auburn fan, maybe you can answer this. Which would you rather relive? I'll give you the entire 2010 season, wherein you win a national title, get to That's a good, watch the rise yeah, of Cam. Question. Or just the kick six. Oh, no, 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 2013. I thought you were going to say for t- or live both. Because 2013, when you look at it, like they had they they got prayer the prayer Jordan Hare and the kick six in back-to-back games. Okay, so yeah, that, okay, we can make that question. That That's fine, yeah. So winning, so just experiencing all of 2013 where you're a national runner-up, but you have obviously those two just unbelievable classic moments in that season or 2010 where you win the national title. And yeah, there's controversy with Cam, of course, but at the same time, it's, Winning a national title, and that's unbelievable. That'd be an interesting question for Auburn fans to answer. That, that did experience this those, this time Those frame. two games back-to-back, man. That was, again, Unreal. that was 4th and 18. 4th and 18 on the prayer Jordan Hare pass. I just rewatched all, it. So all he good. had to do, and Trey Matthews, all he had to do was knock the ball down. Trey Matthews, Jesus Christ. 
And Nick ugh, Marshall. you know what? We're not going to start. But yeah, Trey Matthews is not expelled out and then ends up his career at Auburn. And also, let me say one more thing about that. If, if they would have done that, the kick six doesn't even matter. Yeah. So the kick six is the best single moment on this yeah. list to go back and, and relive if you're a student, I think. Um, just the madness that ensued. So people would probably look at that and say, like, why isn't Auburn number one on this list? I have Auburn only at number four just because the 2012 football season, absolute disaster. Everybody knows what happened with that, and that's ultimately why 2013 was so, so special. Um, But you had the entire Tony Barbiera of Auburn hoops where they were just terrible. They lost 50 SEC games, didn't go to an NCAA tournament, and Auburn baseball never made the NCAA tournament during that stretch. So football, the football moments are unbelievable off the charts, crazy, yeah. like peak Auburn. But at the same time, that's why it's only at number four. That's fair. That's fair. And I, I will say this, because I just, of course, since you brought it up and I was triggered, I went off about the 2013 games, <laughs> as I always do. But I can say this even as a Bama fan, the 2013 Auburn season, in my opinion, is the best season for a fan in any SEC school in the history of, of SEC football. Wow. I, was, I will say that. That's crazy. Uh, number three, I've got LSU, where you enroll in fall of 2005 and you graduate in the spring of 2009. Now, keep in mind, this is based entirely on sports. I'm not talking about, you know, obviously, you know, LSU, Man. the Baton Rouge community is going through Hurricane Katrina. We heard Jacob Hester talk about that last week. I thought one of the coolest things he said was how great Les Miles was in the wake of that tragedy and helping families get through that those difficult times. But just in terms of sports, I think this is pretty underrated because it's the first year that you're without Nick Saban, but at the same time, this four-year stretch at LSU was really, really good. It was even better than I than I realized. You're number six overall in year one of the Les Miles era. You're number three in year two, and then you win the national title in year three, and you get you got to play that title game in New Orleans. Yeah, that's cool. So like that's really, really cool to experience as a student because. You know, yeah, maybe you could shell out like an arm and a leg to be able to go to LA or something like that for a national title game, but to have that in New Orleans yeah. also just so so cool. I'm sure. And your senior year, ticket market. You know, able and to drink finally. Yeah, well, kind I mean that. I think that no, that'd technically be your junior year, but you could probably drink junior year too. Yeah, so that would work. Um, LSU hoops makes its first Final Four in 20 years. That was in 2006. Tyrus Thomas, Big Baby Davis, those guys. Ooh. Um, LSU Hoops also won an SEC regular season title in 2008-2009. People might forget that. LSU Baseball then wins the College World Series in 2009. And technically, you would be graduated, but you're still like, all right, it was like probably you know a month after you graduate. So I'm going to count that. That stretch is pretty amazing. I mean, to yeah. have that kind of success where you got a Final Four, national title in baseball and in football, that, that is pretty rare to have. And I, I'm probably going to get blowback on this because SEC fans in general – for baseball are very very passionate about SEC baseball. Oh, yeah. They really really are. Arkansas, Mississippi State, there are other teams as well. Don't so don't freak out about this, but there is no fan base in the SEC that is as passionate about passionate about college baseball as LSU. Shout out Mike Fontenot. There's a name. I don't know who that is, but yeah. I mean, if you look Ryan at all Terrio? these all these different Are you just saying things? I'm are just these saying all Cubs former, players uh, yeah, yeah, these are Cubs players my um, No, it, it is kind of funny though. I feel like you could always tell when there was like an LSU player that made it to uh, to the uh, major leagues. Because it'd be like their name would always end in EAU 
or OIX every single time. I was like, oh, okay, that guy definitely played at LSU. Um, but if you look at like Alex the, Bregman disagrees with you, but that's of all course right. you would definitely disagree with it. But um, <laughs> no, but like you look at like all the stuff now, like Mississippi State just upgraded their facilities. Florida's building like <laughs> just an absolute ridiculous monstrosity of a stadium. It's gonna be awesome. South Carolina did the same thing after they won, but LSU really kind of started that arms race in terms of like all the investment they put into their baseball facilities. Number two on this list is something that you're, it's gonna make you happy, or maybe it's gonna make you mad that it's not number one. Mm. Bama. Enroll fall 2009, graduate spring 2013. Never graduate. You've got, you've got three football titles in a four-year stretch. Obviously, you get to your freshman year, you dethrone Tebow and you win the national title, um, and then you end your college career by taking down Manti Teo and his fake girlfriend, <laughs> and you win a national title as a senior. Um, you get to experience the first Bama Heisman winner, Mark Ingram, which is also all sorts of bragging rights to be able to say that too. Um, as disappointing as 2010 was. Three titles in four years is still unreal. And just the rise of, of Saban during that stretch. Football alone is obviously the football dominance. Like, you could really pick a lot of four-year stretches during while Saban yeah. was, was at Bama, obviously. But this, this to me, is the best and most impressive four-year stretch for, for those factors. No, I agree. I, I like hearing the notes you had. <laughs> you had didn't make the College World Series. Yeah, like Did they come better. close? I don't, like, I don't think they were... Really good at baseball. Um, basketball went to one NCAA tournament. That was what, 2011, 2012? Uh, was it? I think it was. Uh, I think it was 2012. Yeah, I'm sure it was and then they were eliminated first round in, against Creighton. Yeah, which is our, our biggest basketball rival. I mean, yeah, I don't know. The, the baseball thing. I don't really know if that would factor into it as much um, as like other schools. Yeah, like, it was just it's thrown yeah. in there for. Shout out measure. to the right field Ragers over there in Tuscaloosa, big fans of the show. Um, but no, I think this. I think this is really good. Now, I will say, for me personally, when I started college in fall of '04. Uh, no, sorry, 05, and, and then I also um, graduated in 2010 because I took a year off and changed majors twice. I liked that setup because it was kind of like the the end of my, my run was like all the sweet redemption when we beat Tebow. But no, this is, this is in football, there's more no more dominant like four-year stretch, I feel like. Agreed. And hey, Bama softball. Yeah, they did, and golf won two so. of them. Or golf, maybe one go. of them, I don't know. Yeah, as a, uh, Justin Thomas on their golf team, probably. I'm assuming. Just assume. Um, Number one on this is on this list is just it, it's not <laughs> it's even, not even up like for it, debate. It's it's Florida. It's fall of two thousand five. You enroll. You graduate spring of two thousand nine. You've got the two football national titles two thousand six two thousand eight. Got the two basketball national titles two thousand six two thousand seven. The first school in NCAA history to hold both football and basketball titles at the same Crazy. time. You got. Tebow mania, he wins the Heisman. Your last football moment, if you're graduating spring of 2009, is Tebow announcing that he's coming back, which is awesome. Yeah, like that. I was at the wedding that I was at, like talking to Florida to to Florida grads about that, like saying how, like watching that moment was just it sets the stage for like eight months. So we talk about the off season just so long, and a moment like that. Yeah, you just don't forget stuff like that. So, well, and you think about it too, um, they win the two the two national championships back or in two thousand six and two thousand eight, and the the thing they had sandwiched in between because they had a down year. I think they only won like nine games in two thousand seven. Is the is the basketball title and the Heisman? Tebow Tebow right, becomes the first exactly. player ever to have fifty touchdowns in a season. Yeah, the the so the first hoops title, as everybody knows, they were you know they were underdogs. Shout out to me because I picked them to win uh, the NCAA tournament that year, and I was high on them because they had, just you because of yourself watching the SEC tournament. I am. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes, I definitely am. Um, and then they also had the wild announcement where they had the whole starting five announced that they're coming back. Yeah, that back, was cool. And that was 
That was unreal too. So, I mean, as we've seen the tweet that that's been thrown out there that went viral, I think last year, maybe it was in January. I can't remember um, who I can't remember who it was on Twitter, and I apologize for botching this, but. Florida's campus in 2007. Jesus. You can find any of these characters. I'm going to list them all. Tebow, Dan Bilzerian, Ryan Lochte, Billy Horschel, Cam Newton, Joakim Noah, Al Horford, Corey Brewer, Billy Donovan, Urban Meyer, Riley Cooper, Aaron Hernandez, Pouncey Twins, Percy Harvins, Brandon Spikes, Matt Laporte. I, I love that one you said Percy Harvins, like that lady from the video. Percy Harvins! Um... But, I didn't say it. Yeah, he did, did. Yeah. No, I didn't. But, uh, and also, since you guys can't see the doc, I want to point out that Connor has Dan Bilzerian and uh, Bilzerian and Ryan Lochte in, in the two and three spots of the people listed yeah. behind Tebow. No, but I mean that—that that is there has to be a thirty for thirty on this time at Florida because it is incredible the amount of talent that was on this this campus at one time. I mean, and, and I'll say this too: like people people think I hate Florida for some reason. Um, I don't at all, I, and and I, I can easily say that there's. I think out of all the schools in the SEC, and Georgia's probably a close second, there's no more well-rounded athletic department in terms of how they're talented in almost everything uh, as Florida. Okay, so for every Florida fan fan that thinks I hate them, you know, experiencing this while I was in high school as a kid living in the suburbs of Chicago, I always said if I lived south of Mason-Dixon, I would be doing whatever I can to go to Florida because getting to experience this kind of sports success is just – it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, the it's it's like what Boston is doing right now with professional Ugh. sports. And, I mean, not that anybody really on this podcast would care about that. But just an unbelievable four-year stretch that I don't know if we're ever going to see this replicated no. again, no. that kind of dominance in two sports. You know, but, but you look at it, uh, I think that's what's, that's what's become like this whole arms race in the SEC of trying to be like, you know, we talked about before if you're if you're a, a basketball coach like where are you most likely to go and you look at like you know how much money they're investing into the actual athletic department because you don't want to just be like a one sports school anymore nobody does and i think florida really paved the way for that or ucla and stanford Absolutely. i don't know um yeah. i'll tell you where i differed from you in those and i'll keep it i'll just keep it pretty short but um so the way i view this was was a little bit different just because i didn't want our answers to be the exact same um so still attend a four-year school or a four-year stretch uh it's gotta be after 2000 but the way i kind of viewed it was this like I mean, not knocking the Bama thing. I had Bama two. I had um, I had Florida one. Uh, but like, I think it'd be cool. There's a lot of schools that kind of expect to win. So if you're going to a school, like you expect a football team to be like at a certain level. So it's not as cool if True. they win certain games. And and like you look at it with Bama too, how awful the students can be sometimes. Because like you don't want to go watch them beat somebody by 50 points. And you expect it. Like you know, I don't remember the last time I was worried about losing to Arkansas. You know what I mean? So it's like you don't have as many big home games. So the way I kind of viewed it was if you went to this school with kind of lower expectations and then all of a sudden they just take off and you you get to just experience for like maybe even the first time in program history, this kind of like beating of your chest of where the school's program is now versus where it was like when mm-hmm. your parents went there, what the national, um, you know, I guess like kind of stereotype is about that school. So I had I had Vandy at five Whoa. from the fall of 2010. So spring of 14, uh, you get James Franklin. You get three straight bowl games. Um, never happened in Vandy history. You get the two nine-win seasons. You beat Florida for the first time in like a bazillion years. Uh, you also get two NCAA tournament appearances and three wins. They get to the Sweet 16 one of those years. Uh, you get two College World Series appearances, and you get one national title. That's pretty yeah. good. That's pretty I mean, good. for Vandy, like, I, I don't remember – that stretch as much for Vandy. I'm, I'm sure they didn't sell out most of them football games because that massive 30,000 people stadium. But uh, 
Yeah, I would have Vandy just because that had never happened in program history. It's pretty cool. Um, and plus, they live in Nashville, so there's nothing to do there anyway. Uh, Whoa. <laughs> obviously kidding. So, four, I, I agree with most of the things you said about Auburn. Um, I had UGA on this one instead. I had from the fall of 04 to the spring of 08. Okay. Which just so happens to be the exact time I entered college. Uh, I remember a lot of my friends that were smarter than me and got into UGA um, being able to celebrate this. Is you get, let's see here, you get an SEC basketball tournament championship in 2008. That crazy run they had with the tornadoes. Legendary. This, I mean, yep. yeah, and they still love talking about that. Um, you get a tournament appearance in 2008 for, for uh, college basketball or for their basketball team. You get two college World Series appearances. You get a runner-up in 2008. Uh, you get to see Josh Fields, you get to see Gordon Beckham, a lot of baseball talent off of him. So I think he was one of the, the two top ten picks, possibly. So, and I remember this happening. It was it was a crazy run, and there were a lot of fans involved in it. Also, like you said, uh, the sports that don't really matter as much with golf and tennis and stuff like that. You get to see John Isner. You get to see people like Kevin Kisner for, for golf. Um, but Patrick Reed. Uh, no, yeah, was pretty, pretty, pretty quickly left. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to, like, the big key attraction, football, uh, Georgia fans, as I've said a bazillion times, they are the, the champions of August. This year's our year. We're going to win the national title, return to glory, all that kind of stuff. And these, in this four-year stretch, they did have some devastating losses that like, kept them out of national championship games more than once. Um, but football had 40 wins. They went to two Sugar Bowls, got to see one SEC title. And your last year, before you go into 08, when they had the big letdown in preseason number one, you get to leave college on the 10-win season, the Sugar Bowl, um, might have been 11 wins. True. And the first blackout game ever at home against Auburn, then the Sugar Bowl game where they blacked out against Hawaii, and then you leave with the expectations of, oh, we're the preseason number one for next year, before everything went downhill. Um, and then, like I said, I had Bama and Florida at 2-1 and one like you, and I had South Carolina at third, just because okay. I don't think it can be stressed enough. Like That is a school that, again, had five total, currently has five total 10-plus win seasons. And you got three of them in that stretch with Jadevian Clowney. And again, like you said, it wasn't even just the fact that they had, uh, what do you call it, like the, the home win against with, against Bamba, which they bring up all the time. Because um, it was the last division, the last uh, crossover game that Saban lost, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, Connor. Yeah, that's why it still gets brought <laughs> no, up. Well, I mean, I'm sure it gets brought up for a lot of reasons. But regardless, uh, you also get to see the, the recruitment of, uh, again, a school like South Carolina doesn't usually get big-time recruits. Um, Marshawn Lattimore, not Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, why am I drawing a blank here? Marcus Lattimore. Yeah. Marcus Lattimore. That's the second Marcus time I've Lattimore. done that. Marsh. Yeah. So say it's the Ohio State. Right. You so know, guys on the state. Marcus side, Lattimore, yeah. the five star coming out of South Carolina and staying in state to go to South Carolina. Um, and then also Jadavian Clowney. It's a pretty awesome run. Yeah, I have for honorable mention these. These would just be like kind of fun times to, to be there. Like they're they're more of like one program based, but I just I've always thought it'd be really cool to experience this. Um, just being there for for Manziel yeah. at A and M, um, where you're introduced to the SEC, and that whole 2012 season was just so fun. The rise of Johnny Football, um, being at A and M would have been just crazy, crazy during that time. Kentucky from 08 to 2012, where yeah. you know you had the one bad season to start, but then you know when I remember watching that on TV and watching John Wall and Demarcus Cousins when they did Midnight, dude, Madness yes, and all that stuff, <laughs> and like he's coming down from the Came Raptors, out doing the flex, yeah. Oh gosh, like that was that's still that's such an iconic thing. And then you know you get to end your career with that team that wins a national title. So that that would have been a lot of fun too. And then Auburn two thousand four two thousand seven, just because Cadillac and Ronnie. I, mean, I had that oh as my God, as my runner up too. Was from Auburn from 04 to 08. because I think and you win the Iron Bowl every year. Well, too, yeah, which I mean, is pretty cool. Goes without saying, yeah. I guess. Kind of rude. Had to throw that there. Yeah, sorry. 
Uh, but yeah, let us know what you guys think of that, and what you know if, if any of you went to school during the, those stretches, uh, give us a shout out, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll retweet you or something like that. And you can brag about your college experience. So, um, so let us get to our interview with former Tennessee great, current Tennessee media personality, uh, Vols fans know this guy well, uh, Jason Swain. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is former Tennessee great Jason Swain. As everybody knows, Jason hosts the Swain events, talks all things Vols every weekday morning from 7 to 10 a.m., pretty much on every internet platform there is. Um, Jason, I I got a confession to make along those same lines. When I wake up at 7 every morning, the first thing I do is I roll over to the other side of the bed and I check Twitter, and I always see that you're live. So oftentimes, I actually see your face before my wife's when I wake up. I just want to let you know that. Jeez. Oh, man, I feel special. I feel special right there. That's big time right there, man. Yeah, no, it's a weird thing. On a totally different note, let's talk uh, talk the state of Tennessee football because you've obviously, I know you've been a major advocate of what Philip Fulmer has been doing really in the last year and a half to get Tennessee out of this basement to stop being kind of the the butt of all these jokes. Tell us why you think he's been so good uh, just at appeasing the masses and doing it kind of in a way that's making, you know, Vols for life like yourself happy? Well, I mean, Coach Fulmer knows how it's supposed to look. You know, he knows what it takes to be uh, a, a coach, a head football coach in the SEC and have the support of an AD and uh, an AD allowing him to be successful and giving him the resources to be successful. And I think Coach Fulmer's trying to do that with Jerry Pruitt. Um, you know, I'll be naive to sit here and say that Coach Fulmer in his, you know, first time ever being an AD has not made some mistakes or, or is not learning on the job, but he certainly is. But it's, it's better than, than, than the latter. It's better than uh, the previous guys we've had in there. Um, this place, you know, it, it, needs, it needs some healing. You know, it needs people working together. Uh, Coach Fulmer obviously knows how that's supposed to look like, and you know, he's trying to do that. You know, he's had some major tests already in his tenure. You know, he's had to fire um, Holly Warlick, who was the the, the the next coach after Pat Summon. That's not easy to do at all. And then, you know, he's had to deal with a former player that was on the staff that, that, that was let go. They parted ways mutually and Pruitt and, and Taylor Fair, so he's had to deal, deal with that. And then he had to fight off UCLA. Um, a basketball school coming in and trying to take away Rick Barnes. And I thought Tennessee did a good job of making sure they kept Rick Barnes. So Coach Fulmer's had some, some early tests, and he's passed those tests so far. We want to get into some Pruitt things with you, but before we really dig into the nitty-gritty here, uh, I've got to know, Jeremy Pruitt does not know what asparagus is. Do you? I know, definitely. I think, and I think Pruitt knows, I think Pruitt knows now um, – Okay. You know that 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 thing was shot when he was uh, an assistant coach at Hoover, almost a, what a decade ago, something like that. And um, I asked him on my show, probably last year, about about asparagus, and pretty much the same question you you just asked me about him. And he confirmed good, that he good. does know what it is. And um, <laughs> now that he has That's you know, good. big 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 banks, I'm sure he I'm pretty sure he eats asparagus pretty uh, pretty often now since he's since he's a millionaire. All right, well, you're doing all, all of our work for us, so appreciate that, Jason. That's that's very, very nice of you. On a, on a different note, 
Year one of Pruitt's performance, I think a little bit all over the place, a lot of good, some frustrating, obviously the two-game losing streak down the year. How would you grade his year one performance if you're giving it a letter grade, you know, standard A, B, C, D, or, or F? Or maybe you want to even throw in an E in there. I mean, I would, I would, I would probably give him a B minus, somewhere around there, C plus, B minus. Um, I mean that that win against Auburn at, on the road was was a dang good dang good win, man. I thought the coach did a really good job of scheming Auburn up and uh, allowing Jared to to play to his strengths and to his strengths against a really good Auburn defense. Uh, I thought Tennessee played dang good at home against against Kentucky, uh, a team that was in the top 15 at the time, and Tennessee just controlled that game from from day one, um, from from snap one. But uh, at home, Florida was was very ugly. Um, you know, I lost that game on the road against South Carolina. Certainly had plenty of opportunities to win, but to lose in the fashion that we lost, we're getting carved up. Uh, that's something that I was not expecting uh, with Pruitt being a defensive guy. And then the last two games at the end of the season, uh, there's there's certainly no excuse for that. And we know that Pruitt is basically. Um, building from scratch more than, you know, the previous coach had to build when he took over. So, you know, Pruitt has a, a tougher road to, 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 to hold for sure. But uh, I would give him, you know, I would give him a, you know, C plus, B minus. You know, he, he, he had three coaches that left in year one. And that's, you know, we understand that coaches come and go. Uh, but the OC move was, was something that, uh, was wasn't ideal, but Tennessee certainly uh, benefited with Tyson Helton going on his own rather than uh, firing him and having to pay a buyout. And um, so um, Pruitt is growing as a head coach. I thought I saw some really good things from him in, in year one, and there's some other things he needs to continue to work on. And it looks like he's doing those things. But uh, if you ask me a grade, and I was keeping it 100% real. Which I try to do as much as I can. Um, that would <laughs> that be, is uh, true. A, a, B, a B minus, man. C plus, somewhere in that range. Jason, I think we'd all agree that he's very fortunate that that wasn't worse last year because of the great state that Butch Jones left that program in. I just, I just want to throw that out there. Um, oh, that's, I'm obviously that's kidding. my sarcasm right there. <laughs> yeah, Thank you. I appreciate that. No, but we do, we do talk about Tennessee being back all the time um, on the show, and especially under Pruitt. But in your mind, what is the quote-unquote, hump they need to get over to be back? Is it beating Alabama? Is it beating one of their SEC East rivals? What is the hump they need to get over to be back? I mean, for me, being back is every single year having a chance to go to Atlanta. I mean, there's not there's not a lot of teams in the SEC that can sit there and say, like, the legitimately they have a chance and they're expecting to go to Atlanta every single year. And to have that expectation, that means you're recruiting at a high level each and every year. That means you're developing talent each and every year. Um, I'm not talking about every three or four years like Dan Mullen did when he's at Mississippi State or what Mark Stoops does at Kentucky. And, and uh, I'm not saying that to uh, denigrate them because they, you know they've done a good job building. We, we see their ability to develop talent. But because of where they are, they don't have the luxury to stack top 15 classes on top of each other each and every year. Um, so when four or five guys go to the league, you have another four or five guys, you know, 
that, that, that moves him to that spot with a chance to go to the NFL. When you have that, that's when you know that each and every year you should be able to compete and go to Atlanta. So I think that's where that's where Tennessee, uh, that's where I think Tennessee being back um, is. Now, there's a long way to, to, to go to be able to do that uh, for sure, but you know, if you're if you're looking at one year, go oh, you know, this year we're not going to be good, but the next year that should be the year. I think when you're doing that, you, you're not really back if you're Tennessee. Every right. single year, there's a there's a, a honest expectation. I'm not talking about these crazy fans that say right. you know we're going to go win 11 games uh, with a with a terrible offensive line that just you know played last year. I mean a true honest assessment and going okay, yeah, yeah, we should definitely you know go go compete. For the East, one thing about this conference, there's a few plays that can be the difference between winning ten games and only winning eight games. And so, yep. yeah, you you may not get to Atlanta, okay, but you can go and look at a Georgia game, or you can go and look at a Florida game, or maybe look at a Missouri game, or something like that, and go, okay, those are two three plays right there that they lost you the game. So um, that's that's my definition of getting back, though, but have an expectation each and every year that's honest and fair. I like that. Uh, so one thing that I have uh, been on record as saying, and I want you to understand, just so you understand how, how important this is for me to have said it, I'm, I'm a lifelong Bama fan. However, I am very high on Jared Garantano, and we recently did our quarterback rankings. I had him third. Tell the world why I'm not crazy for ranking JG as the third best quarterback in the SEC. Well, I don't, I don't think you're crazy. I mean, I think I think one and two uh, is, is obviously uh, Tua and then Fromm. And I think after two, there's a, there's a nice gap. Um, there's no one eating on their, on those guys' heels. But uh, I think the case can be made for, for Jared. And for, unfortunately for, for Jared, he hasn't had the benefit of an offensive line. Uh, right. He's been on his fourth offensive coordinator in four years. So... <laughs> You know, he's that, and, and then he, he has not had the luxury of a wide receiver that runs lower than a 4-4-5. Than a, than a four, four, and so um, he doesn't have that, 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 that receiver that can stretch the field and create separation, take five-yard hitch routes, and take him the distance. He, he, he doesn't have that. Um, and so he's had to be really, really, really meticulous in, in his preparation, and taking care of the football, uh, checking checking down, being really smart. Um, and it all clicked for him in the Auburn game because he was able to throw some 50-50 balls and, you know, Palmer and Callaway and, and Jennings made some of those plays on, that, on the ball. But I don't think people really understand um, how he, he, he's not really gifted with a, with a, 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 deck, a deck of cards that's in his favor. But, you know, Jared certainly has some things to work on too. Um, you know, he needs to throw more anticipation, take a little bit more uh, more chances, um, while still trying to take care of the football. But um, I, I think I think Jared's one of the better quarterbacks in this league for sure. Jason, as you look at this this Tennessee team, I, I'm kind of realizing this as I'm thinking about it and going through in my head of if you could bet on one single team in in the Power Five to improve its year total from last year. Tennessee might be the strongest bet to go from more than five wins 
in 2019. And obviously part of that comes with the expectation that we think Garantano is going to be better. We think that Jim Chaney is going to improve that offense. But what should the win total expectation be for this group? Because it was kind of like last year. It was like, man, what, what could that do to get that team to a bowl game, get a month of extra practice and all that stuff? It kind of feels like it's not just six, seven wins anymore. Like there are a lot of people saying, okay, get, get to eight wins, get to an Outback Bowl, get to something that's a little bit more tangible than sneaking into the postseason. What do you think that realistic expectation should be for this group? As I think about the, the, the talent that's coming back along with the newcomers, um, how the season ended last year, the upgrading coaching staff, uh, members, the schedule that's softened up a little bit, the number I look at is eight, and eight could mean eight wins in the regular season with a chance to win nine in the bowl game, and eight could win seven games in the regular season with a bowl win. And so I'm, you know, I'm looking at eight somewhere around there. Uh, obviously, injuries play a big part of it, um, but eight I think is a good number to target if, if, if you're a Tennessee fan. Um, yeah, I mean six. Uh, Six doesn't do it for me. I mean, you, lose, you, you, you take West Virginia off the schedule with Will Greer and all those stuff they had, and then you're replacing West Virginia with BYU. Um, so you should be able to make some things happen there. You get a, a favorable matchup against um, – I don't know if it's favorable, but it would be a dang good game against Mississippi State, who also is losing a ton of talent. Um, and they have to replace their quarterback with a new quarterback. So that, that should be a good game. And um, – Hey, you, you're playing that game. I think it. I think that game is at home. Uh, so hey, that's 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 a game. I think Tennessee should should go in feeling good about winning. So the schedule lightens up for sure. So yeah, I mean, I think eight is a good number. Here's an interesting question for you, and I'm not sure if you've thought about this. So I'm going to be putting you on the spot just a touch. But who wins more SEC East titles in the next five years, Pruitt or Mullen? Ooh, wow. I think Mullen... <laughs> there we go. I think that Mullen, was the reaction I was hoping for. Well, I think Mullen is set up to do it. I think, um, you know, and I I just... I imagine Pruitt, you know, taking over the job and in his first six months to a year, truly realizing how Mullen and Curry Smart fell into a better situation as far as roster, yeah. as far as in-state recruiting, all those things. So... Um, who wins more or who wins it first? I'm sorry. Is who wins more? more? That's I think that's a more interesting question. Next five years. I think, or I it think could be Mullen a draw. It could be one apiece. Well, I think Mullen well, has a chance to win uh, multiple, and I think Pruitt has a chance to win wow. one in the, next, in the next five years. So one in the next five years for Pruitt. I think Mullen has a chance to win two in the next five years. Uh, depending on what happens with, with Kirby Smart. So I would probably say Dan Mullen in the next five years. Well, that, that does not feed well into my my question because I was going to ask, <laughs> what, uh, what, why, tell me who is the most overrated SEC team or player going into the season. Tell me why it's Florida and or Felipe Franks. Oh, the most overrated team? Um, hmm. Overrated, overrated, overrated. Well, to be overrated, that means you got to have a ton of expectations, right? People should should expect a lot from you. And I mean, look at Florida, what they did against Michigan. Uh, Felipe Franks, dual third quarterback, and you saw Darren Mullen really, really 
improve his game. There's still some room for Dan Mullen to, I mean, for Felipe Franks to go and grow. Um, so there's got to be a there's going to be a lot of expectations for those guys. They look like they have some 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 off season drama going on that hopefully they're <laughs> able to, to clear up for their sake. Um, but I've 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 kind of been a part of that where you have a bunch of things going on and guys getting arrested and you know this and that and this it becomes a distraction and affects you on the field. But I think I think LSU Florida. You know, Texas A&M, I mean, there's a lot of expectations coming around those programs, and um, they're set up to be overrated because there's a ton of expectations. But um, I don't know who really will be, to be, to be honest. Um, I think if you had to pick one and you put them in a spot and I'm just giving you an answer and not, you know, being a BSer, I would probably say Florida just because of the off-field issues that have taken place during the summer. That's fair. There That's we go. Fair. That, that you had to get back to that. It was it was a little bit too much nice Florida stuff from a Tennessee grad. You know, I, I was waiting for it to, to even out a little bit. Hey, I'm just real. keeping it real, man. I mean, you look around the league. <laughs> you no, know, hey, LSU got um, you know they got a quarterback returning that that was productive. That hasn't happened in a long time. And um, I like Kellamon uh, at A and M. You know, Alabama. I guess you can say overrated. They lose a, a game in conference. I mean, because they don't. That's, where, that's really. where we draw the line, Jason. <laughs> I mean, they don't. They don't lose in conference. So I mean, if they lose, I guess you can be like, oh, they're overrated. But yeah, I think I think it's fair to, to to look at Florida out of all these schools simply because of the off the field issues. I mean, I I, I buy into Jake Fromm because there's there's no more uh, distractions with with, with with you know Justin Fields than trying to get Justin Fields in because they promised him he would play the as a you right. know during a, as a recruit, so there's there's no distractions there. That's Fromm's team again. Um, you know, Missouri has a lot of things kind of working for them to do some damage. Um, but I would I'll probably go back to Florida though, just, just because of the off okay. uh, the issues. You touched on the offensive line thing earlier, with and that's that's the biggest reason I think the improvement we're going to see from last year to this year is going to happen with JG at quarterback. What freshman, non-freshman Tennessee player do you think will have the biggest impact on Tennessee's success this season? Well, the biggest impact, the biggest guy, the, the guy that's going to have the biggest impact is Trey Smith, because he's the best offensive lineman. Um, right. If he's able to play and be healthy and be some form of himself from his freshman year, then I think I think Tennessee's offensive line has a chance to be really, really good, but once you eliminate him and then you start trying to play musical chairs uh, with the offensive line, then you find yourself possibly eyeing two true freshmen starting to get a tackle. And the good thing is that they're very talented and they pick Tennessee. The bad thing is, is that the true freshman. And so right. you're relying on two true, two true freshmen to protect the blind side of, of Jerry Gantano, a experienced quarterback who, again, is from the sport coordinator in four years but not like Jameer Johnson you know he came from Juco ranks he's, he's you know he mentally is tough as nails and plays with a nastiness um but this offensive line that Pruitt inherited they were they were all small you know you think about the offensive philosophy from the previous coaching staff you know they 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 ran a lot of zone uh, zone read they ran a lot of zone uh with the running back in the in the, in the running scheme there which allowed the line to be a little bit smaller, but you just allow the running back to be right. Well, this offensive scheme is about 
whooping the guy in front of you and being a little bit bigger, being stronger. And so uh, Craig Fitzgerald, the strength coach, that's why he's the top five highest paid strength coach in the country because, you know, we got to get those guys bigger. Got to get them bigger, stronger. Um, we've had too many injuries over the last four or five years, so that needs to be fixed. Did a good job with that last year. But there's a lot that goes into the offensive line playing better, that's for sure. The most uh, intern Butch Jones story that you can think of, and even better if it's something that isn't super well known, like the Champions of Life or something like that. Oh man, Woo! there's there's just there's there's just so many. I mean, there's if it's, if it's not Champions of Life, it's silly five star hearts. It's you know <laughs> I think about I mean I think about. I forgot. I think we were playing like Tennessee Tech one one game, and uh, you know we're beating them pretty good. Still in the first half, and you know it's fourth down and some change, and you know Butch decided to kick the field goal, which was the right call, but the fans kind of booed him. Um, and I remember watching on television, and he threw his hands up and said "f them all," and I don't think he realized the camera was on him, but everyone everyone saw it. Everyone, everyone saw him say, "F all of them," and he was talking to the Tennessee fans. And so, uh, not not the smartest or, or best moment for him. Uh, I think once he played really conservative and and soft uh, a lot in the two, 2015 season, where he failed to go for go for with 240 pounds, Jalen Hurd running back against Oklahoma, kicked the field goal, lost the game. Uh, I, I think anytime he made calls that was conservative, he heard it from the fans and. Um, he just it doesn't look like he was able to take that pressure. But yeah, that sticked out to me. Him telling the fan base uh, to, to f them all, and thinking that the camera wasn't on him during that Tennessee Tech game. Okay, something that I, I've got to ask you about, and I, I hate to go back down this road because I know it's this is a sensitive subject here, but the Butch Please T-shirts. For those who don't oh, know yeah. the story. Tell us why they came into existence, and then how quickly you realized that they were just a massive mistake. Um, oh, they, I never thought it was a mistake. I tell you that. For sure. <laughs> um, yes, so, bravo. So, so the, so the day he was hired, um, everyone was like, "Who in the hell is Bush Jones?" You know, people were getting on Google and trying to figure out who he was. Um, a tidbit. Anytime you got to Google the coach that did school hire, it's probably not a good day. But that's kind of what we were doing. We were, we were trying to Google him and trying to figure out, you know, his, his 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 resume and what he did at Cincinnati. And you know, I went to the press conference and um, just kind of wanted to be there at that moment. And, and so I came back to the radio station I was working with. And, uh, we were trying to just just kind of find catchy ways to kind of get the fan base excited about this lackluster hire. And, um, you know, his name was Butch, so we were just kind of coming up with things like, you know, I got 99 problems with a Butch ain't one. And, and um, <laughs> but I said, Butch, please, kind of like that. Um, because we know it's a play on words, and we know the original word used. And so it kind of caught on, and someone was like, you need to put it on a T-shirt. So I put it on a T-shirt. And then it sold like crazy. And then what happened was a bunch of people started like trying to rip off my idea. And so, oh. um, be- because you know I obviously didn't 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 want that, uh, I was kind of forced to trademark it, even though I had no intention on doing that. 
Uh, I was working with a T-shirt company that all they did was just they printed shirts and they were sending them to people and they handled the trademark. But that lasted about a year. People being excited about Bush Jones uh, to be able to kind of sell Bush Please T-shirts. But uh, after that first year, um, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't really feel comfortable having them at all or, or even offer them. So we got rid of them after the first year. And I used all my Bush Jones Bush Please T-shirts for oil racks when I changed my oil in my car. <laughs> Cool, man. I've got some now since he's assistant at Bama. I appreciate that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Wait, yeah, man. But trust so, me, I never, I never regretted uh, doing the Butch, Butch Lee shirts, man. They were they were a damn good idea, man. Yeah, <laughs> they are. It, it, it was just good for a year. So, wait, if I'm understanding this correctly, you still own the trademark to Butch Please. Is that correct? I'll let it expire. So, oh, I, don't I, I don't know if I own it or not, but I'll let it expire. So if anybody want to want butch, butch Please or Butch Please intern t-shirt, then they can, they can, they can buy the uh, <laughs> trademark and start their own deal. Oh, gosh, that's great. We might have to buy that back off you. We got one more question yeah, you can here. Have it, man. Uh, yeah, you can have it. Just, <laughs> yeah, just like, I don't I'll give you five bucks it. right now, Jason. Free of charge. <laughs> I'll give you my nicest trash can outside. Um, yeah. yeah, we can work that out. Um, all right, so here's an interesting question before we get to Family Feud. And I, I have a feeling I know what prompted this, but I've, I, and I've, I've been curious to hear kind of your take on this. Does Dan Wolken still block you on Twitter? Because another co-host on this podcast might be able to relate to Dan Wolken yep. not being a big fan of him. Um, and what was it exactly that prompted it? Did it relate to a certain coach with the name that rhymes with Leg Fiano? I am currently not blocked. Uh, there you go. I'm All right. Always, yeah, I've always tried to be super nice to Dan. Because um, I, I can just tell Dan wakes up mad at everybody. And yeah. <laughs> I just don't understand how you can be always, you know, upset or throwing shots or throwing shade. It's obvious there's some things going on with him and Tennessee fans, so – I try to be the one guy like like overly nice. I like making him uncomfortable because I'm so nice to him. So <laughs> I actually am not blocked. So uh, I have invited him to hang out in Knoxville for go out for a brew and a burger or something, and he has not taken me up on that offer. But I am not blocked, and um, him him being connected to Shiano and the John Curry stuff, I don't think he's going to ever be able to live that down from Tennessee fans. God, that this those last two questions, man, that was my favorite. We do, you want to talk about Dan Wolk and Twitter? I, we could do a whole show on that. <laughs> I, that is, oh yeah, that, that was a very good answer. So we're we're gonna get you out of here on, on Family Feud. It's a little bit different. Um, we're just gonna ask ten questions. It's your your first reaction. We'll put you on a clock. Uh, we get a scoring system, all that kind of stuff. It's like Family Feud, kind of. Are you ready to play? I'm ready to play, man. My mustache is not stick Steve Harvey's, but I do have a bald head. <laughs> I'm ready to roll. <laughs> Hold on. I need a second after that. Um, okay. <laughs> All right. So we got 10 questions. We'll put it on the clock. Your first question. If you were a character on The Office, who would you be? A, a character? Yeah. On, on The Office. So like, the no, no, on, on The Office. The, the show The Office. Oh, The Office. Oh man, um, I would be, I would be the what's the black guy's name with the with the with the, what's the black guy's name? First off, there's two. It's Stanley and Daryl. Oh man, uh, 
Yeah, Fred, I, I would. I would probably be Daryl. Okay. Daryl's better. <laughs> that's, that's good. Be yeah, Daryl's cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll um, be Daryl. Daryl seems cooler. Trust. Uh, sorry about that. I'm not a big office. I don't watch a ton of Office, but I do. I do know some of the main characters. But yeah, I'll, I'll be Daryl. Yeah, yeah, we don't either. We don't either. Um, totally, yeah. So, yeah. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, second question. Uh, better head coach, Derek Dooley or Lane Kiffin? Oh, Lane Kiffin. Okay, that's a good answer. Hottest Disney princess? Hottest Disney princess? Oh, my God. There is man. a right answer. I don't, I, don't think I, need, I don't think I should answer that, man. I might have, like, people <laughs> trying to get me arrested. That feels awkward. <laughs> We answer, we asked it to every guest, and they this surprisingly have an answer. So we I were think all kids, yeah. It's fine. I mean, it's not weird. No, it's... Uh, that's a that's I don't even know. I don't even know the Disney princess. Who who was the the, the princess in Aladdin? Who which one was that? Who was that? Jasmine. That is the correct answer. There okay, you go. Don't act like Very you didn't smart, know, Jason. That's fine. That's oh, a, yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah, the yeah, appropriate yeah. answer. Um, yeah, okay, yeah, less Disney questions. She, I need to make a note of that. Bad. Yeah, she, <laughs> um, yeah, she's a cartoon Kardashian. That's what I always say. Best player you ever played against. Uh, oh man, Ooh. probably Sean Taylor. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good answer. I thought you were gonna say Brody Crowell, but that's good. That's a good answer. Yeah, the, the, um, the late great, the late great Sean Taylor. Sorry, Brody. He was the best. <laughs> uh, drums or flats? Oh, flat. Very good answer. Uh, who is a worse sideline coach? Drake or Matthew McConaughey at Texas? Uh, Matthew McConaughey. Because Drake, I mean, dude, Drake, Drake is entertaining. It's like it's funny. It's funny how he gets on right. the, the, the basketball players. And he's close to the action. So you can get a reaction from the basketball players. The football, I mean, those, those guys really don't pay attention. So I would say, I would say uh, Matthew I don't see. I don't think Drake actually thinks he could coach. I feel like if Matthew McConaughey wanted to, he would just take the headset off somebody and start calling plays. Like he takes himself that seriously. Mm-hmm. It's too much. He would. Um, he describe, would sound good doing it, man. Especially he was to those Lincoln commercials, man. He sounds great. Those Lincoln commercials. That's fair. Okay. Um, describe Jeremy Pruitt in one word. Football. That's okay. It. All right. Uh, I know you're from Huntsville, also, so. Man. I know you from Huntsville, so better tourist attraction, Space Camp or Dollywood in Tennessee? Better? Oh, it's Dollywood. Oh, okay. Not even close. Not even close, fair enough. It's Dollywood, man. Space Camp. You look heated about Space Camp. It it depends on how old you are, but I'm going to say Dollywood. Okay. Uh, we have two more questions for you. Describe uh, Vol Twitter in one word. Ruthless. <laughs> yep. That's Perfect it. answer. Yep. All right, and last question. As a Vol, what rival do you hate the most? Alabama. That's it. Hate oh, that's Alabama. a good one to end on. That's good. Yeah, let me add these up. Let me add these up. That last one really, really helped you out there. That is 69 total points, Jason. That is a solid round. Very nice. Interesting, interesting score there. I'm pretty sure Robert Gronkowski will be proud of me. 
<laughs> that is the second consecutive week somebody has referenced Gronk on this on this very That's podcast. Right. So we appreciate that, Jason. We appreciate you coming on. We're gonna have uh, when Tennessee's like in the midst of you know an SEC East run. We're gonna have to bring you back on, bring some insights about Pruitt and asparagus, and you know talk talk all things Vols because uh, yeah, it's been long long overdue. So hopefully we can do this again real soon. Hopefully, master. Hopefully sooner or later, man. If it comes down to you being. Being a, being on a, a position to make a run, okay. But I appreciate y'all. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jason. We'll do it again too. Appreciate Jason coming on. Um, we would love to have Jason and Dan Wilkin on at the same time. Um, <laughs> that that's, that's an SEC Media Days fantasy interview. I that we will never do, yeah, but it would be a lot. Of I'll fun. never use Dan Wilkin and fantasy in the same same sentence ever. But yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, let's get to fourth and wrong. Yeah, so we have fourth and wrong this week. Uh, we did not get a chance to have the um, listener segments that we threw out there on Facebook. Uh, saving it for next week. Yeah, saving it for next week. We, we got the Jason Swain interview late, um, so apologize for that, but we will have one for next week. Also, if you have not already, go join the Facebook group for the Saturday on South podcast. Uh, a lot of fun stuff in there, a lot of good debates. Um, I mean, for the most part, every post has been great in interaction, except for the one person who, for some reason, thought it would be a good idea to put a, a, a tweet or an Barrett Instagram Salee. to Barrett Salee. So that, yeah. was, that was not my favorite. But other than that, it's been fantastic. He's been removed from the group, and may God have mercy on his soul. Um, no, not really. He's still in there. Let's get to fourth and wrong. Uh, the first question we have, what is the most ridiculous fact that you know Thomas O'Neill Roy on Facebook? Shout out Thomas, who also, I think he's friends with both of us on Facebook. Uh, Thomas, good dude. Yeah. Good, good with interaction on social media and stuff. Divorce in Ireland was not legal until 1995. Why do you know that? Because I went to Ireland two years ago for, my, for our honeymoon. It wasn't legal? It wasn't legal until 1995. Wow. Contraception, also not legal until 1980. <laughs> Ireland is basically like... Um, Alabama? Is, Pawnee, is like Pawnee, Indiana. Um, with okay. some, of the, some of the stuff about like being, being very, very late. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it was like we heard that. We're like, no, that he meant 1895, right? No, no, 1995. Wow. Um, that's a good one. I like that. Uh, for me, I'll, for whatever reason, I never forget this. This is an actual t- statistical fact: is leadoff walks in baseball score sixty three percent of the time. I will never forget that stat. My college, I thought it was higher. Sixty. It was. This is well, two thousand seven. But is a statistical fact: sixty three percent of the time. Every time it's late in the game and there's like a walk, whether it's good or bad for my team, I was like, oh, leadoff walks. They score sixty three percent of the time. Okay, so I used to always say I was told eighty percent of the time the leadoff man gets on, he scores. Not, not that's not just walks. That's just the leadoff man in general. Who told you that? That's a good question. I learned <laughs> that in high school. I don't know if that's real, but I mean, that's it's, it's maybe they're just saying that. Like, if you give one hundred and ten percent of effort, like maybe it's just like yep. one of those numbers they just threw out there. Good um, point. Who knows? So that's a good question though. So uh, the second one: What's the worst football game you have ever watched? Ooh, who threw that one at us? Did we... I actually stole this one from Twitter because some a-hole actually tweeted out that what's the worst game you ever watched for me? It was the 9-6 LSU game. And actually, I will give him credit. Dan Wolken said, it's the first time I ever agree with him, Dan Wolken clapped back at him and said, that literally wasn't even the worst Alabama LSU game from that season. Whoa. Yeah. Very, good, very true. Good take. Very true. Um, mine's, I'm going to go outside of the college football realm. Um, I'm going to go Bears-Jets. In Chicago, November 16th, 1997, 
it was so cold that day. It was the first Bears game that, that I ever went to in my entire life, and it was probably 30 degrees and freezing rain. My feet have never been that cold. There was only like 45,000 people there, which is not that much for an NFL game. Yeah. Um, the Bears lost 23-15. to 15. It was a horrible game that I want to leave at halftime. And the Bears were 1-10, and 10, and it was just really sad and depressing. And it was like, whenever I think about depressing football, that's what comes to mind. <sighs> it's usually the Big Ten for me. But um, no, so I have a very similar answer to that then, because mine is, I don't know the date, but it was Alabama-Auburn in 2000. This is the season I've talked about before where they just won the SEC Championship in 99, and you are, are preseason ranked number three. Uh, going into the season, and they win a total of three games. And, it's tough to do. And Mike DuBose has the affair with his secretary, which that means somebody actually slept with Mike DuBose, which is gross in itself. And they end up closing out the year against Auburn. And we had season tickets, and my, my dad made us go. Um, and I was like, we, we're not going to win. We've lost like almost every game. And he's like, it's our, it's our job to go and support the team. I'm like, cool. And it was 33 degrees on the dot and raining the whole time. And Those are the worst. It was. I have never been so cold my entire life because you just and you sat there the entire game. Nothing happened. It was a nine to nothing game. Auburn kicked three field goals from Damon Duvall and they beat us. And it was awful, awful. The, I fell asleep with with you just telling me. Yeah, that. it was so oh boring. God, it was awful. Um, and then the absolute worst game I've ever watched, like on TV. I forgot the score of it. I just remember is the 2012 Notre Dame Purdue game that went three overtimes and neither team scored twenty points. Three overtimes. Neither that's, team. That's, it was like nineteen to sixteen was the final score. That should get an award. That's tough to do. That's very tough to do. Um, okay, your next question was best sports sounds. This is uh, submitted by Jacob Vargas, good friend of mine from college, uh, on Facebook. So you can go a lot of directions in this. The sound of a a wooden bat, the crack of a wooden bat, yeah. always great. I played catcher, so I always love the sound of a nice nice fastball just hits in the yeah. pocket of that catcher's glove. Um, the back of the net Catcher's swish. Mitt, All right, we're, we're gonna go there. Uh, the back of the net swish that like barely touches the net mm. and it makes that little like ping sound. Where I guess technically it's not a swish because it does hit like the little back of the rim, but that sound is so good. The pre-game winning shot silence of the crowd, Ooh. and then the, the the subsequent roar after is always that that's top line. Yeah. And, Pads hitting pads. I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, if you know, if we're going to talk football here, that's it's it's hard to beat that sound. Yeah. So my favorite for 2019, especially, and it's finally it's finally happened in 33 years of being a sports fan. My favorite is the whistle when a referee will get involved and totally ruin any kind of momentum or fun in a game. That's my favorite sports sound. Uh, no, absolutely not. My, mine's definitely a wooden bat hitting a baseball. That's the best. Like when you hit it pure. Not like when you get sawed off and it breaks in half like I always did. It's I think it's pronounced whistle. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, that, that, and then I think other than that would be pads. Be the pads. Uh, let's see pads here. Popping. Last one. Uh, best cheap date ideas for the summer. That is from Vince Rogers on Facebook. Cheapest date idea you can possibly do. Just go for a walk, man. Oh. Girls love walks. They love walks because it gives them a chance to talk. Yeah. You're not just sitting in this like kind of, you know, if you're if you're at a booth at a restaurant, it's kind of like it's a little bit more confrontational. You kind of have to have some real talks. It's a little bit more casual if you're walking and there's distractions outside and it's like, you know, it's it's a lot it's a lot easier. It's a little bit more free flowing. Walking good cheap date always if there's like nothing going on, you're like, I don't want to sit here and watch a movie for another two hours or whatever, or like go out for an expensive dinner. Just suggest the the walk idea and, and see where it goes, trust me. Um 
I'll tell you where it'd go for me is just another trip to the deodorant store because it'd be so hot and sweaty in the summer. Um, Have you got that special deodorant? No! Yet? We need to get you on that. Yeah, we do. Uh, we probably do. So my answer would be putt-putt. I mean, like, what I like to do on a date is, is let a girl know what I'm good at. And there's very few things. It's, it's cursive handwriting. That's one. Um, and, you know, putt-putt is another one. I'm really good at putt-putt. So, like, you, you had one thing in the holster. You were going to do yeah. things that you were good at. You were like, oh, shoot, I'm out after cursing. Uh, yeah. um, no, I wasn't. There was something else. I forgot the other one. Though. <laughs> I forgot what it is. No, but, um, oh, mental math. But the, you know, so I would say this. Uh, that or, this has been a staple um, since way well, it was a staple now that I'm engaged. But barroom trivia, that's my favorite. Because those those all involve spending money though. Not, not that much. You get like a couple pictures of beer, and that's like twenty bucks. Um, you don't have to eat. Uh, regardless, it's a lot of fun though because you you know you you kind of you get a little break in having to have constant conversation, and you guys kind of get like you know team building and put your heads together and see how smart she is, and you know if if she's not, and maybe she costs you a first place win because saying something stupid, you know pretend to go to the bathroom, leave her with a bill. Here's an old married couple story for you. So my wife and I went to a bar. Uh, we went to World of Beer, which is like, you know, it's yeah. a chain and stuff. But there was one right by our house. It was a great location. And uh, we went there to watch some NCAA tournament games. And we were planning on just going for like an hour and a half, two hours, whatever. Going to have some food, have a couple drinks, whatever. And um, they're like, right when we were, we were like, probably like 15, 20 minutes away from leaving, they're like, oh, it's trivia night. And we're like, do we want to do trivia? And it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, why not? And then trivia takes like three hours, and then we're at the bar for like five hours, yeah. and it was not our intent at all. But we were committed at that point. Would you so have like four well. drinks in that five hours? Uh, probably less. Probably <laughs> less. Let's be honest. Come on. I don't think I've ever been at a bar for five hours because usually I'm asked to leave before then. Oh, yeah. that's good. Very, very true. Uh, we'll save beer rankings for next yeah. week. we got a lot of stuff to save for next week. we already got a loaded show. I know, right? Let me be the first <laughs> to tell you. Um, we got it might mean too much, though. Kyle Matlock sent me a photo of this uh, Volunteer Express truck, which is, you know, basic trucking company that likes to have some, some Tennessee logo, Tennessee-like logo. Um, they've got, like, this Volunteer Orange logo that says, Ship Orange and Gray Today. And so on the back of this truck, there is dust, like a lot of dust. And so five different SEC fan bases decided to write on the back of the truck with their fingers. And you got, go Tigers, War Eagle, Roll Tide, go Gators, go Dogs. I love the idea of SEC fans seeing a dusty Tennessee truck and thinking, you know what? Now is my time to make my mark on this thing. I haven't washed my hands in a while and I don't plan on doing it. So I might as well get them even dirtier. I, I, that, that is a, that is, I mean, like that, I always wonder what that is because you see people like, Remember when you were like eight and you saw somebody that wrote wash me on the back of a car and you're like, that's funny. Mm-hmm. And now that you're an adult and people are still doing it and you're like, who is getting <laughs> up to these cars and thinking this is funny? Like it's the same people that write in bathroom stalls. It's like, I got something to say. Well, this is a wrong place to do it. Do it on Facebook like my crazy aunt. Yeah, that's why you got a Facebook page now. You don't need to go writing on walls and writing on trucks. It was kind of high up too. Like oh, people climbed up to get there. <laughs> the perp was at least over six eight. Oh gosh, the Tennessee, the, whoever's driving that truck is going to be like, oh man, not again. They're going to turn around and see all that and wipe all this crap off. Uh, but anyway, that was a lot of Tennessee talk today. Yeah. I, I think we've been lacking a little bit on some of our vol talk because, okay. Well, <laughs> I'm kidding, right. guys. I'm kidding. It was good to have Jason on, though. Um, we'll, we'll definitely be talking more Vols, you know, assuming that they're going to like get to a bowl game this year, yeah. um, which we think that they will. So make sure, as you said earlier, that you have joined our new Facebook group. Lots of great interaction going on there. You've had some great posts. You've been on fire yes. social media-wise lately. Been, Appreciate been really that. On fire. Appreciate that. Um, 
the snip snap thing that I, I laughed out loud for a solid minute when I saw that the Brew McCoy snip snap. Thank you. That was good. And uh, the, was honestly, good. the hashtags are my favorite part of the brew hall, brew hall truck. And it's so it's just so good. <laughs> Somebody was like, "Well, so and so from Arkansas also transferred. You didn't call them out." And I'm like, "Yeah, because his name doesn't rhyme with U-Haul. That's the good only point. reason why." <laughs> good point. Quick five star review to get to. This is from Dog Fan Number Three. Subject: Best anti shark abuse podcast ever. <laughs> I stumbled across this podcast a year ago and have yet to miss an episode with Connor and Uncle Chris's fact-based opinions and daily Coach O visits. Oh, we got to get Coach O to sign off. Uh, I'm constantly on the edge of my chair. Would recommend this podcast to anyone not named Danny Cannell or Jordan Rogers. <laughs> Keep up the good work, guys. Thank you, Dog Fan Number Three. Who's Dog Fan Number One? That's my question. Ooh. Or number two. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yes, thank you for for that. If you have not left left us a five-star review. Please, please do so. Make sure that you're watching Facebook Live. Are we sticking with Wednesday nights? Yeah, Wednesday nights. All right, because the Bachelorette. Hannah has not said Roll Tide on either of the last two No, she episodes. hasn't. And Cam, up. I'm glad that Cam's gone, though. We need to talk more about the Bachelorette next weekend. Because I mean, that's, he's the worst. He is the absolute yeah. worst. Spoiler, no spoilers. Yes, yeah, but it's, yeah, two days removed from it. You probably watched it by now if you actually care. Follow us on Instagram at SDS. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod at SDS at CJ O'Gara. Coach O, you're not on vacation in California anymore, are you? No, I'm, I'm back, Connor. All right. I got two good. things to say to you. First off, Lou P, Hannah, you listening? Don't pick Lou P. And it might need some Talk to you guys next week.